Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's Focus for Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023, at 12.44 p.m. Central Time. Well, today's Focus is one of those situations where I'm going to do my very best to try to convince you to do a little bit of work on your own. Now, these doesn't, these episodes don't always work as well as I would like because I, in many cases, I have no idea. I, I really, I guess I don't know how well they're working because a lot of times I don't hear back from anyone. But the reason I'm going to take this approach is when you deal with theological controversy, when you deal with doctrinal disputes, when you deal with biblical debate, when you deal with these issues where there's controversy, there's disputes, there's debating, there's disagreement, you can literally just kind of pick the team you're on, pick your side. You just come in, you present your side. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. Here are my four reasons that this is the right way. And here's my four reasons that that's the wrong way. And then the people who agree with you will be like, yeah, amen. Thank you for doing that. The people who disagree with you are like, he's an idiot. He's a heretic. He's wrong. And then now you'll, you'll generate a lot of emails, you'll generate a lot of discussion that way, but I don't know if you really bring anyone any closer to the truth. So what I like to do is in many, and not, this doesn't work in every situation, but I like to do this frequently, is I like to say, okay, guys, we have a controversy here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go look up all of verses that speak of this, or I want you to look up All the places this word is used in the Bible, or I want you to look at this and I want you to forget which team you're on. I want you to forget commentaries. I want you to forget everything else. Just go look up the biblical information. Now, once you look up the biblical information, looking at all of it, what conclusions do you think 
are even possible based off the biblical information? And what conclusions do you feel are impossible based off the biblical information? Now, it's hard to get people to do that, right? Because people will just want to go find the proof text to back up their position. But you're like, hey, no, 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 no. In a sense, it's like, lay down your weapons, put down your guns, put down your swords, put down your rocket launchers. Okay, let's not have a holy war. What I need you to do is if we believe the Bible is the final and ultimate authority, which we so we so frequently claim, well then here, go look up all the verses that relate to this subject and then come back and say, well, you know, after looking at just scripture alone, I don't think that position really works. And I don't think that position really works. And I don't think, so that leaves me with three possibilities. Now, in theory, that's the right way to do so. That's the right way to do it. In, in, in a pra- the practical reality is you can't get people to do that. They just, they will continue to disagree with you without being willing to do the work. They don't want to do the work. They'll, they'll make some kind of excuse. Well, it's pointless to do the work. Well, you can say it's pointless. My argument would be whether you think it's pointless or not, you're actually studying God's word, which I think is kind of what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. So we're going to stumble into a little bit of a controversy and I'm going to try to get you, if you're willing, to go look up all the biblical information and see what you find and then think about it. Because I think if you're just honest with yourself for a few minutes, you'll be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This doesn't really work. All right. Now I'll try to explain why I does. I don't think it works, but I'm I really, I'm, I'm not going to try. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to restrain myself from doing too much teaching here. And more say your today's focus is to go research this if you're willing to do so. If you're not, hey, you can just tell me I'm wrong without doing the research. And those are the emails that drive me crazy because it'll be an episode where I'm like, okay, everyone, go look this up, go look this up, go look this up. And I'll simply get an email going, you're an idiot, you're a moron. And it's like, did you do the work? Did you look up everything? Oh, no. You see, so you just want to criticize. You don't want to actually do any meaningful, positive work to try to find an answer. You've just already made up your mind and everyone else is wrong. And that drives me crazy. So hopefully you'll be willing to do so. Are you ready? So here we go. We have been in Luke chapter 14 now for a number of broadcasts and even an hour of preaching at Victory Baptist Church on Sunday. We ended up in Luke chapter 14 because I came up to the studio, did not know exactly what I wanted to broadcast on, looked over, saw the lectionary, the historical lectionary, which gives assigns readings for each day of the week and, and, and Sunday, you know, all the days of the week, they assign specific scripture reading. This is how the early church did things going way back. And many cases, those historical lectionaries are very important because they show us which scriptures were being utilized and read in the church, which goes a long ways to knowing which books they felt were authoritative. Now, we, we could get into a whole discussion about church history there. But I love the lectionary. I love, I like to see which readings are assigned. The first reading, the second reading. I like to see what the psalm is. And I like to see how they possibly fit together. And I like the hermeneutical challenge of going, what do I do with this text? Well, it all started in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. 
And as we've been working through Luke chapter 14, we realize that Luke chapter 14, verse 1 to 24, that all of that back and forth, all of that discussion, everything that happens in Luke 14, 1 through 24, happened when Jesus came to dinner. One of the chief Pharisees seems to have invited Jesus to a dinner. He goes, and then throughout this dinner, there's really these different conversations. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And really, it's a kind of a one-sided conversation, most of it. Uh, and, and Luke 14, 1 through 6, Jesus talks to them about healing on the Sabbath day, right? Healing and the Sabbath, okay? And so we refer to that as kind of like, we, we kind of viewed this like a four-course meal. And this is the first course of the spiritual conversation. And it's Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus talks about healing and the Sabbath day. Then, starting in verse 7 to 11, Jesus speaks about where do you sit when you're invited to a meal or to a wedding? Where do you sit? And then starting in verses 12 through 14 or 12 through 15, Jesus begins to talk to them about who do you invite to your get-togethers, to your dinners, to your, your activities? Who do you invite? And then, and we believe that all three of those sections, all three of those courses to this spiritual meal, this spiritual conversation, that all of these are a direct attack upon the Pharisees is what we feel. That it's a rebuke. It's a direct attack upon them. I'm not going to go back and repeat everything. Then last night, we found ourselves looking at verse 15, which just seems so out of place. All of a sudden, one of them that's sitting at meat, when he heard all of these things, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it feels to me that it's like, whoa, 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 this is getting too personal. This is getting too convicting. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, let, hey, blessed, hey, blessed is the one who, blessed is the man who'll uh, eat bread in the kingdom of God. Uh, so he almost wants to turn the subject to something else to to prevent the the, the the uncomfortable conversation. We don't really know exactly how to interpret it. We looked at a lot of different ways and you can you can do that then. Starting at verse 16, Jesus has this entire story and discussion about people who were invited, who refused to come, and so therefore go out and get the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. We talked about how some of this may have a direct correlation to Romans 11 and how Israel's been set aside because they refused to come. The Gentiles are brought in. We, we talked about all of that, okay? I'm, I'm not going to go back through all of that. And finally, it all ends in verse 20. Four, the mill conversation, the four courses, it's over, it's done. The mill has ended. And then we turn to verse 25, and that's where we're going to be today. Today, we're going to look at verse 25 to 35. This is the reading and the lectionary as well. So anyone who uses a historical lectionary today, and if they go to church, they're going to hear this read. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. So the mill has ended. We don't know chronologically. Is this directly after the mill? Is this sometime later? The text just goes, and there went. So we would have to get a harmony of the gospels exactly to figure out where this possibly fits in. But we know at some point, Jesus is walking along. He turns around and he sees all of these people, a great multitude, as the King James says. And in verse 26, Jesus says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother 
and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I know there's a lot of verses that come after that, but there is no way, if anyone even cares about doctrine, truth, or theology, you can't move past verse 26, or or, I'm sorry, there's more after 26. 25 sets up the setting, 26 begins the actual discussion here that Jesus wants them to hear. But in 26, there is one word, and that word is disciple, and there's no way to move past 26 to 27, 28, 29, all the verses following, until we spend some serious time dealing with the word disciple and all of the controversy that flows from it. Because there are major theological divisions and major theological disputes that come down to that very word. Now, Jesus seems to make it very clear. He offers some very strong requirements to be his disciple. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you got to hate you're not you 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 got to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brethren, your sister. You got to even hate your own life. Now a lot of people are like, well, okay, you don't have to hate them. What it means is you have to love them less than something else. You have to prefer other things over them. So if you're going to actually be a disciple of Christ, you've got to then basically prefer something other over and instead of your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, even your own life. Something else has to be more important to you. Something else you have to be more passionate about. Something else you must pursue over everything else. If you're not doing that, you cannot be my disciple. Now, it seems pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But the theological problems that that unleashes, I don't think we're ever going to resolve and there's never going to be an agreement. So whenever we face ourselves with these theological disputes, then I guess what? I have to give you some things to do so that you can try to look at the biblical text yourself and come to your own conclusion. But let me just try to break down where this controversy, how this controversy works. For some people, whenever the Bible says, do this to be my disciple, or if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. Whenever you read scriptures that say you have to do this or don't do this, if you do this, you can't be my disciple. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. You have to do this in order to be my disciple. All of the verses that speak of the requirements to be the disciple of Jesus, it is understood by many, by many Christians, by many churches, that those requirements are the requirements of salvation. Like, if you want to be saved, you have to do these things. Now, some people may try to make it like, well, that sounds like a works-based system. But typically, this is the way the church plays it. The, the, the non-Catholic church is the way we play it. No, 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 no. You don't have to do those things in order to be saved. But if you, these are the things you have to do in order to prove you're saved. So if you truly are saved, if you truly are saved, then you will hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your sisters, your brethren, and even your own life. That they will argue this is proof of salvation. You don't do this in order to get saved. You do this in order to prove you're saved. And if you don't do it, then you were never saved. 
Now, typically they, they play a little bit of games here. They, they play a little games here. They'll do like, well, I mean, you don't do it perfectly. I mean, I mean, you may, there's going to be times you're going to put your family before God. There's times you're going to put yourself before. It's just, it's the overall direction, the overall, and they try to make it as vague as possible, but at the same time, being able to be very strong about it. So it goes basically like this. A disciple is a Christian. It's the same thing. A disciple and a Christian is the same thing. The call to discipleship is a call to salvation. In order to be saved, you must do that. You must, you must put God before everything else. And if you do not, then you were never saved. Meaning you have to do it in order to be saved. Even though we think just changing the the word structure makes it all better. But the, the reality is, you're claiming, and I know people don't like this, but you're, you're claiming you got to do this in order to be saved. And then we have to kind of water it down to an order that, that, well, then is anyone saved? Now, immediately when you make this a requirement, either to prove that you're saved or to be saved, you just immediately destroyed any assurance anyone will ever have. Because how are you going to know that the totality of your life is going to demonstrate that you hated your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother and your sister, and even your own life? It's going to, you're not going to know that until you get to the end of your life and you can say, well, I, I think the overall, the overall direction of my life showed that I hated all of these things in comparison to my love for God. So therefore I know that I'm safe. You would never have any assurance. But this is the idea that disciple and a Christian are the exact same things. And so you either have to do this in order to get saved or you have to do this in order to prove you're saved. And again, if you have to do it to prove you're saved, meaning you have to do it in order to be saved. You, you can play all the games you want. That is a common teaching. This is a common teaching in the American church. You can go to your church on Sunday, or if you have church tonight, and just ask your pastor, hey, when it says you cannot be my disciple, is a disciple the same thing as a Christian? And if they say yes, that, that, that's Jesus' call to, his call to discipleship is a call to Christianity. You say, okay, well then, so I have to do these things in order to be saved. Well, I mean, you'll, you'll do them because you're saved. Well, what if I don't do them? Am I not saved? Well, I mean, and then and just watch them kind of go back and forth. Well, I mean, you won't do them perfectly. So how imperfect can I, how imperfect can I be in this and still be saved? Because I don't think I've ever hated my own life. I don't think I've ever put my, I don't think I've ever put God before my own self. Maybe, maybe there are little periods of time, but overall, I still want what I want. I still have a sinful nature. I still exalt myself. I'm still arrogant, prideful, selfish, self-seeking. What, what do you do with this? Because this is a dominant teaching in the American church. A disciple and a Christian, they are the same. And when Jesus says, do this to be my disciple, he is telling you what to do in order to be saved, or as it would be stated in most churches, what you have to do to prove that you're saved. Let's keep reading. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You got to bear your cross. Now, that a cross is not just an instrument of, you know, a difficulty. This is not like bearing, I'm bearing my cross because I have back pain. No, 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 no. Bearing the cross is an instrument of death. This means you have to die to self. This basically to be a disciple, you've got to love God above everyone else. 
supremely. You prefer it, pursue God over everyone else, even your closest family members. You have to pursue God and love God even more than your own self. And then you have to take up a cross and literally die to self. If you do not do these things, you cannot be his disciple, meaning you cannot be saved. If you make a disciple and a Christian, the same thing. If you make discipleship synonymous with salvation, well, then guess what? You can say all day, no, 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 no. This proves you're saved. That means I've got to do it in order to be saved. This means Jesus didn't pay it all. Jesus didn't do it all. Jesus got, got me started. Now I have to do these things in order to prove that I'm saved. And if I'm not doing these enough, then I prove that I'm not saved. This becomes a works-based system, no matter how many little linguistic games you try to play. And then, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Less happily, after he laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it uh, began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Hey, in other words, what Jesus is saying, you need to count the cost. If you're going to be my disciple, and again, if you make a disciple, this is a call to Christianity. If you're truly going to be a Christian, you better count the cost because you could start this journey and then not finish it. And then everyone's going to make fun of you. Count the cost. Now, this is this would be a salvation message that says, hey, hey Jesus paid it all, but but that's great. That's wonderful. But, 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 but you're going to have to pay a cost if you want to be a Christian. And to be a Christian, you must be, now what we typically say, again, in the American non-Catholic church, you must be willing to do these things, right? You don't have to do them first. You must be willing. Now, once you say, okay, I'm willing to hate father, mother, daughter, brother, sister, and even my own, I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to take up my cross. I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to do this. I'm counting the cost. All right, great. Praise God. You're a Christian. Now, Six months later, they come back and say, now, you're not doing this, this, this. You're proving you're possibly not saved. So it's amazing. You just got to be willing to do it. But then that willing to do it must turn into actual action. Because if, you, if you're not doing the action, then immediately someone will call your salvation into question, which means you have to do it in order to be saved. It creates a major workspace system. He goes on to say, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he's able with 10,000 to meet them that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You must forsake everything to be his disciple. Now, if you make disciple to be a Christian, you got to prefer Christ over all of your relationships. You've got to prefer and love Christ more than your own life. You've got to take up a cross and die to self. You've got to count the cost and you must be willing to forsake everything to be his disciple. Now, if you make discipleship and Christianity to the same, then that's what you have to do in order to be saved. You can say, I'm saved by, sal- by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. No. 
you got to do these things. They say, people say, no, 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 you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. But if you're truly saved, then you will do these things. Really? You're going to tell me you have forsaken everything? Isn't it, isn't it amazing that we can sit in a church and say, I have forsaken everything for Jesus while you're holding a Starbucks, an iPad, a cell phone, you go get into your $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 car, go to your $200,000 home, turn on your $2,000 television while you have life. I, I have forsaken everything, but you have everything. Isn't it easy to, t- to pat yourself on the back? I have forsaken everything for Jesus when you have everything. What does it mean to forsake everything? Look, if this is either the requirement to be saved or if this is the requirement to prove you're saved, you better be able to specifically outline what a person must do in order to meet these requirements. So here's what I want you to do today. What I want you to do today is I want you to go through the Gospels. I don't think the epistles ever mention the word disciple. I don't think they ever even mention the word disciple. I think it's just the Gospels that mention the word. Now, we could get into a whole discussion about how the word is used. Because you, can, you cannot tell me that every time you see the word disciple, it definitely references a believer. Because I think Judas was even referred to as a disciple. So it has a general usage where it can just refer to someone who's just following Christ from a distance, maybe just interested in Christ. It doesn't always refer to a, as a believer. We could, just, we could just get into that right there and probably solve this problem. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to find every passage that says, if you do this, you you can't be his disciple. You must do this in order to be his disciple. And write down all the requirements for discipleship. Just write them all out. Just write them all out. Put the scripture down. And then look at those and go, okay, wait a minute. If discipleship equals Christianity, if discipleship equals salvation, then I must do all of these things in, or, in order to be saved. And I will tell you, if you're even remotely honest with yourself, if you're even willing to be honest with yourself, you're going to be like, well, then I'm not saved. And not only that, if you have to do all those things in order to be saved or do all those things in order to prove you're saved, meaning you have to do those things in order to be saved, then don't go around telling everyone you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, because it's just a lie. Now, you have a couple of options in what to do at this point, right? You could say, okay, this is what Jesus requires. That's all law. Do this, don't do this, do this. That's law, 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 law. Those are requirements for salvation. Christ fulfilled all of those because he did all of those things. And because he did all of those things in Christ, then all of those requirements of discipleship, which is salvation, are met in Christ. Therefore, I am a Christian. I am a disciple. Positionally, practically, I'm not. You could go a law gospel solution to the problem. Or you could go to a second solution. Salvation and being a believer in Christ is distinct from being a disciple. They're not the same thing. Now, you may be called a disciple in the most general way, just like Judas is referred to as a disciple. Others were referred to as disciples that clearly weren't even believers. 
It's just a general. So in a general way, you are a disciple. But to be the disciple that meets these requirements, that is a call to something different than salvation. The call to salvation is to change your mind and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is salvation. Discipleship, if you want to, if you want to separate, would be something different. So I think either one, we say discipleship and Christianity are the same and that these are requirements of salvation. And then we say Christ met those requirements and in Christ, I, all those requirements for discipleship I have met, I am saved because Christ did them for me. Right? So you, you go a law gospel approach. Or secondly, you're like, no, there's a difference between salvation and discipleship. I may be saved, but I may not be a disciple the what, for, for what Jesus is calling. And I don't think any of us ever meet those requirements. We may be always pursuing discipleship. We never even get anywhere close. Or you take a third approach, which is disciple and Christian are, they're synonymous. Salvation and discipleship is the same thing. And you have to do this in order to be saved. You have to do this to prove you're saved. And if we're going to, and, and if you're going to go with the third, that third option, then just acknowledge probably no one is saved and stop telling everyone you believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, because clearly you don't. Just, in fact, what you should probably do is just go back to the Roman Catholic Church and just be Catholic. Instead of pretending not to be Catholic when you hold the Catholic theology better than Catholics do. So, but, but what I want you to do is I want you just to write down, I want you to write it on paper, every verse. You got to do this to be a disciple. You got to do this, do this, don't do this. And just write down all the requirements and just look at those requirements and just be, just be honest with yourself and go, okay, what do I do with this? And again, I've given you some options of what you do, right? You say, okay, discipleship and being a Christian, discipleship and salvation. All right. All right, someone just said this. So then, so so then, is it black and white? You either are a disciple or you're not, or is everyone on like a continuum? How would you understand that if you take that view? Okay, if I, I've got to ask the question here. I got to ask a question. Which view are you referencing? Which view are you referencing? I got to. Someone just posted something in the chat, and I don't know exactly which view they're referencing. Which view? All right, so I'm waiting. There's a, there's a delay in the audio. So for those listening live, I apologize. But I got to make sure I know exactly which view they're referencing. So I know exactly how, I think I know which one they're going with. I'll go through, I'll go through the different perspectives here in a minute. All right, so perspective number one, I'll, I'll wait for them to catch up. Um, okay, hang on. All right, the view that a Christian can be a disciple or not be. Okay, so I think, okay, I've got, I got I to gotta try to answer this and hopefully it, it makes sense. All right, so I'm going to go through the different views and then try to articulate the answer here and hopefully it will make sense and they can tell me if it makes sense. All right, so view number one, let's go with view number one, is that the call to discipleship is a call to salvation. 
and that all of these scriptures are giving us law, law, law. You have to do this in order to be saved. You have to do this in order to be saved. You have to do this in order to be saved. And then we say, I cannot do that because the law condemns. We look to Christ. All of these things that Christ says, you have to do this in order to be his disciple. He did all of those things. So in him, I become a disciple. It's all taken care of by Christ. That's it. So salvation and discipleship are the same thing. The demands that are placed upon it, I cannot meet. And only in Christ can I meet them. So in Christ positionally, I'm a Christian. I am a disciple. It's the same thing. Problem solved. All right. Now, if, if you like that approach, if you like that approach, okay, but that at least at least gives me a, a, a grace gospel based way of understanding it and doesn't turn into a workspace system. All right. The second view would be that a disciple and a Christian are two separate things. That you can become a Christian because you become a Christian by faith alone because of Christ alone. And once you become saved, then there is this call to discipleship, this following, and then we are pursuing it, right? And so the question is, do we ever truly become a disciple? I don't know if we ever truly become a disciple because to me, it seems pretty black and white. You have to do this in order to be my disciple. If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. So I would say discipleship would be something we're constantly pursuing, but we never obtain ever. I don't think you could ever say I'm a disciple because how could you, I mean, just look at the requirements just right here in Luke 14, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brother, and sister, cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his cross cannot be my disciple. Um, you must forsake. If uh, um, like, So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsake not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. I don't know anyone could even, maybe there are Christians out there listening today who'll be like, I do those things and I'm... I mean, I don't know what to say. If, you, if you're that convinced, you pull those things off. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, I don't know how accurate I would accept your, uh, your understanding of anything. So I think in that view that, hey, they're separate, is that we're saved by grace alone, faith alone, because of Christ alone. Discipleship is this thing that we pursue after. I just don't know if we ever get there. I just, I don't know if you could ever, even if you got there, how long would it be? Would it be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Now what some people say, well, no, 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 no. You're demanding, like some people would accuse me, you're demanding absolute perfection, but Jesus' words demand absolute perfection. Okay, all right, someone just said, but in a black and white sense, I'm not a disciple. As I understand what you're saying, so it's not like one just, uh, one just worse disciple, it's more you're not at all. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, Jesus is saying, you're not my disciple unless you do this. Jesus' words are black and white. Like, there's no, like, we can come along and try to say, well, you can be a disciple and just do 50% of this. Jesus doesn't seem to offer any hint of that. You cannot be my disciple unless you forsake everything. Now, do we, when he says forsake everything, do we then limit everything to being, well, you just have to forsake your works and you have to trust in Christ's uh, righteousness. It doesn't say that. It says forsake everything. Remember, some of these calls to discipleship is what led to the entire monastic life in the early church anyway. Because people were like, well, if I can't do these things and live in this world, so I'm going to have to forsake this world, sell everything I have, go live in a monastery where I can dedicate 24-7 of my life to Christ. 
That's why they did it. They didn't did it because they didn't do it because they were crazy. They were like, well, does anyone else read these scriptures? I have to forsake everything. I've got to pursue Christ above every human relationship. I've got to even pursue Christ over my own self. Well, the only way to do that is to forsake everything and go live in a monastery and where I'm spending 24 hours a day focusing on the things of God. And we, and we, as Protestants, we condemn that. We're like, how stupid, how dumb. They don't understand their Bible. Okay, well, then we come along and say, hey, you got to do this in order to be saved. So again, view number one is salvation and discipleship is the same thing. These are the requirements for salvation. You can't meet them. This is to condemn you. You you look to Christ who met all of these requirements and in him you meet these requirements. Therefore, you are a disciple positionally. You're never one practically because you just never will be. The other view is we separate salvation from discipleship. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, because of an imputed righteousness. And we pursue discipleship but we, I don't think you could ever say we obtain it or even become anywhere close. Now, we may, we may be able to say we are a disciple in the most generic use of the term. Again, we, I, if you want to do some extra work, go look up every time the word disciple is used and you'll see it being used for all kinds of people, people who clearly are not saved, clearly people who just seem very non-committal to people who are very committed. So the term can just be used in a general way. But what Jesus is speaking of is some kind of disciple here that is, well, this kind of disciple has clear requirements. In fact, you're supposed to count the cost. So view number one, these are requirements for salvation because disciple and salvation is the same thing. We can't meet it. Jesus meets it. In him positionally, we are a disciple. Second is we separate the two. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Discipleship is by work. Is by doing things, forsaking things. We have to follow that in order to be a disciple. We're always pursuing it. We never get there. And the third view is, this is required for salvation. That salvation and discipleship is the same thing. And this is required. Now, some may argue it's required to get it. Most in the Protestant world will say, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. But they will come along and say, you have to do it in order to prove you're saved, which means you have to do it in order to be saved. Again, it's just a, a game of semantics when, when Christians try to play that. And I believe that most of you probably go to a church that will say at some point, whether they even don't even realize consciously they're saying that, is, hey, 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 discipleship is, is salvation and you have to do this in order to be saved. You just start talking to all your Christian friends and see how fast that they go with that. And what will be amazing is you've been friends with those people for 20, 30 years, and they will act like they actually pull it off, which is frightening because in many cases, you know them, you know their struggles, you know their failures, you know their shortcomings, and they'll be acting like, I, I have forsaken all for Jesus. I, I love him. About, and you're like, you're out of your mind. But this is, it leads to a, a self-righteousness. Now, what I want you to do is go look up every verse where there is a call or a demand for discipleship and look at exactly what the demands are. You know most of them. Got to hate mother, father, daughter. You got to take up your cross. You have to deny self. You have to die to self. You have to stop following self. I mean, it just goes on. It builds on. There's so many. And by the time you look at it, you would have to be like, nobody is saved. No 
body is saved. If you make it, salvation and discipleship are synonymous. Now, I don't know which one you want to go with. I don't know if you want to go with a law gospel solution. I don't know if you want to go to just making them two distinct things, salvation and discipleship. I don't know if you want to stick with your, nope, this proves you're saved concept. Whichever one you go with, you just got to make sure you're logically consistent and make sure you're honest. I just feel that if you go right down today on paper, I want you to write them down. Every scripture, every requirement, every requirement. And I want you to, and I want you to post those requirements everywhere. Post them on your refrigerator, post them on the mirror in your back, post them everywhere, right? And then just look at them for like a week and then ask people who know you, do you think these things describe me? Ask the people who know you, ask the people, ask your mother, your husband, your wife, just ask your kids. Come on, be honest. And I think what you're going to hear from everyone is like, you're a judge. You don't even come close to that. What are you talking about? And then you're going to have to go, well, then I'm not saved or I'm not a disciple or praise God that Christ accomplished all of these things because if he didn't, I would be in trouble. Now, I did a little bit more teaching than I wanted to. See, the goal here was to be 15 minutes and I was just going to say, look up the word disciple today and... But I could have given you homework two different directions, right? So right now, all I'm giving you is just, I want you to just look up all the requirements for discipleship. That's all I want you to do. That's all I want you to do. Look them all up. And I don't think the word disciple even shows up in the the epistles. I don't believe it even does. So really, all you have to do is look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is what is a requirement. This is the requirement. This is the requirement. This is the requirement. I think the word disciple, though, it, it, there's no way to give it just one specific meaning. It, it, it has a wide range of meaning. It, it's used in the most vague, general way, and it's used in a very specific way. Or you have to water down these requirements for discipleship to such a, you water them down to they really are meaningless. That really like, well, anybody can pull it off. Eh, well, no, no, I don't, I don't think you can. Now, I, again, I had someone email me not too long ago and was all mad because they say I preach a weak, pathetic form of Christianity. I'm, I'm paraphrasing their words. I don't have the email in front of me, but a weak form of Christianity. And, they're, and they basically argue when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit and that you will do these things. It's inevitable. You will do it. Well, if it's inevitable, then Christians should be, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, then Christians should be sinless. It should be inevitable. Well, we're not sinless. So why are we not sinless? That means there's a limit to the power that we have. So now you have to at least acknowledge a limit to the power. I will argue that you think and convince yourself that you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. So you convince yourself you love your neighbor. You convince yourself that you're holy as God is holy. And if you can convince yourself of those things, which are obviously not true, if anyone knew what was really going on inside of your mind and your heart and probably the people close to you who know your life, they know it's not true. So why would you continue to play some game that you are something that you're not? 
I know we all want a Christianity where we have supernatural power and we can go do it, but we don't possess supernatural power. We possess a sinful nature. So your focus today is simple. Every requirement laid out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to be a disciple of Christ. And then don't argue with me. Just ask yourself, do you do that? And if you don't, then why not? Well, either one, you just proved you're not saved. So I guess you can go magically say a prayer again and get saved and then magically you'll be able to pull it off. I say you can say 50 prayers and get baptized 75 times. You're still not going to be able to pull it off. So then your second option is, I think there's a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. Or third, no, this is the requirement for salvation. I can't do it. Christ did. Now, I don't know which one of those works out best for you biblically and theologically, but I can't wait to hear what you have to say and what you find. If you want to email me your work, it's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Today's focus. What is a disciple? What does the Bible say? Are the actual requirements to even be considered one? Look at that. Let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. And that is your today's focus for this Wednesday, November the 8th, 2023.